0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. My name is J. Allen Cross, and of course, I'm here with my co-host.
1: Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on the Instagrams.
0: And we are not alone because, of course, we have our guest back this week. Thea Wershing is back with us here. Hello, Thea. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are a blast.
0: <laughs> We've been having a great time here. Mm-hmm. Um in this episode, we are going to be talking about um, tarot, especially tarot decks, tarot cards themselves, um, and this whole journey around you making your own tarot deck, which is this big accomplishment. I have looked into it several times. I have started this process several times and gotten absolutely nowhere with it. So I'm very excited to have this conversation with you to see um, you know, how it went for you, how you went about it, um, and get this info out there. And so maybe can we start with what started your tarot journey in general? Where did you start with tarot? How did you get into tarot? Where does this all begin for you?
2: Sure. Okay. So my mom was an art teacher and this is relevant because our house was filled with art supplies, which was pretty cool. But she also had this like a bunch of objects for her students to get inspired by. So she had a lot of astrological imagery around the house she also had a lot of tarot decks because she would give them to her students to copy or be inspired by. So I remember being a kid and playing with them, but it's not that I understood mm-hmm. like what was going on then. And then I just reconnected with a friend from high school who was like, did you know that you gave me my first tarot deck? And I'm like, I, I have no memory of this. So I was into it as a teenager and I liked using Oracle decks and things like that. Um, but it wasn't until I was about... I think I was about thirty or so that I really had a big awakening into tarot, and so what happened uh, was I was in my PhD program, and this really like sort of meant set of circumstances happened wherein I got grant money to study this book. Uh, it's an African American fantasy novel from 1902. <laughs> And it actually is about like journey to Africa and learning the mysteries. And so I got all this grant money to study it. And it was the exact amount of money I needed to go on this uh, Egypt tour. Mm-hmm. So it, it just all like happened very synchronistically. And that Egypt tour happened to be a tarot intensive tour of Egypt. And Mary Greer was co-leading it. Wow. And at the time I was just there to study with um, the person who writes about Egyptian mysteries, which is Nikki Scully. So I was there to you know, be with Nikki Scully and Normandy Ellis, this amazing writer. I'm like, oh yeah, Mary Greer's there. So I wound up like doing these tarot classes in Egypt, which is just wild. The tarot and, found you. <laughs> yeah. And um, there are a bunch of tarot creators on that journey with me. And I find that the way that I learn things is kind of by osmosis. So it's like, mm-hmm. if I'm hanging out with people who know stuff, like I'll kind of feel it.
0: They'll not- Pick it up. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I just, I get the energy around it. So just a lot happened for me on that trip. Yeah, that was, that was the beginning of going deep into it.
0: Love that. And you said that your, your mom was the art teacher?
2: My mom was the art teacher.
0: That's, yeah. I love that they were giving out tarot cards for art inspiration. I feel mm-hmm. like that would have been such a risky thing to do at any of my right. schools.
2: Well, it was the 70s. That's the thing, right? And I just had a client tell me like how popular astrology was in the 70s. And it's like, I was a child, so I don't remember it. But um, you see all this wonderful kind of crappy jewelry, you know, like the cheap jewelry from the 70s. Um, There was a lot of it. So, yeah.
0: I love that. I love that. I I will still respond to what's your sign as a pickup line, even though it's very 70s. But I, I still
2: totally I'm like, yeah. all right. i mean and it was, was just like... funny because she my mom was not into the occult at all mm-hmm. but she had all this imagery and she had like an egyptian bathroom <laughs> where <laughs> she had all these like god statues in the bathroom but it would, for her it was just decoration yeah
1: so. right you know shout out to art teachers because my art teacher that i had i was homeschooled she was my art tutor at the time uh, she taught me the art of interpretation Mm -hmm. of how to interpret art at a young age. And um, I think that has played in significantly into my tarot reading abilities because, you know, I would look at this art and I would, you know, with curiosity of a child, I would be like, what is going on in this art, you know? And she would be like, well, take a look at this and what's happening here. And then how do we interpret this? And, I think it really like flowed into my eventual tarot practice. So that's really cool. Your mom was an art teacher and like had tarot cards (laughs) lying around. That's really awesome. I'm
2: so glad you brought that up though, because tarot is one of those areas where I try to figure out how it works and I can't. And sometimes I wonder, is this just really like a mystical appreciation of art? Like, is this just about, Mm -hmm. you know, that act of creating art and kind of tapping into the creator's vision? Because it seems like that, like with different decks, Mm -hmm. it's like, what is inspiring you about someone's particular vision? And is it just that, like, I I wonder about that. It's like, do you connect with a particular deck because of who created it? Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and Tarot is so connected with art in that way that like the art on the deck dictates kind of the deck's personality, it's feeling yeah. um, how it might be interpreted and also how different decks affect different people or what draw them to it is all about art. It's all about, right. you know, what is, what is present there in the deck. So the art is really kind of what gives the deck a soul. And so I think that's important.
2: I love this conversation. <laughs> I, just, I just find it so interesting how one deck can speak so strongly to someone. And then I might look at it and be like, no. Like I just got this deck I was really excited to get. And I'm like, all right, who can I give this to? I just looked at it once. I'm like, no, does not talk to me. So, right. Yeah.
1: Right. It's funny, like the collective, uh, like the collective love of the Rider-Waite-Smith mm-hmm. deck. And then, um, you know, just how folks kind of gravitate towards that and the culture around that deck. But like, for example, uh, I received the Wild Unknown deck and a uh, gorgeous deck. Super beautiful. The texture of it is amazing. Did not work for me.
2: Yeah, I. I can't read with it. I, I remember the huge buzz around that deck, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. saw it, and I was like, pen and ink, like no one's done this in forever. It's so cool. And then, yeah, I just never used it.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> <different>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so funny how that stuff will impact us, and like, but then we also have two. Like, um, there are certain decks that are s- like modeled after specific types of art. Like, there's like a like a Salvador Dali deck, um. Mm-hmm. Things like that, too, which I think is really interesting. The one that I really want to make a tarot deck is uh, there's an artist i have been following lately. Her name is Vanessa Stockard. And she does these really amazing paintings of um, little black cats with like these huge eyes that are just like tearing up furniture and just getting into all kinds of like nonsense. And they have like big Elizabethan collars on. And it's just like so absurd. And I love it so much. I'm like, I need a tarot deck of just these little cats. (laughs) like.
2: It's so cute. I'm gonna just show you this card that I have on my desk. I pulled this card this morning.
0: Oh wow.
2: i um, so in this Oh wow. This is from the Itzel Cohoun tarot. Um, and I'll just talk about her for a minute. So she was a really important 20th century occultist and surrealist painter. Mm-hmm. And at the end of her life, she did a poured enamel tarot deck. Which I just find so compelling, and so she was using the occult color scales from the Golden Dawn. So it's not mm-hmm. just random, right? It's very orderly, um, but it all looks like this, right? It's just like these color splotches poured out, right? And I, to me, this deck is just so alive. And she was not into divination. She was like, "This is just for spiritual contemplation." So um, I had the book version of Tarot is colored by Ethel Cahoon, like came out a couple years ago, and the. Cards just came out recently from Folger. So that's been my obsession of the moment. (laughs) Mm, Love (laughs) it.
0: Do you you have an artist, whether kind of like well-known classical or maybe modern, that that you wish had a tarot deck or or you would like to see something kind of modeled after them?
2: That's a, that's a really good question. So um, I'm just going to say the first thing that pops into my head, which is Frederick Church. And mm-hmm. so he was an important American painter in the mid-19th century. So he was really like the most popular of the landscape painters. And mm-hmm. no one really knows his name today, which I find fascinating. But I was just at his house in upstate New York because, uh, a lo- as you'll hear, like a lot of the history of my deck comes out of upstate New York and all the spiritual and political movements up there, the burned over district. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like even though he's painting landscapes, he's definitely pulling in some spiritual energy in every mm-hmm. landscape. So I love looking at his stuff and we actually paid homage to some of his paintings in my deck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think he has like these kind of spiritualized landscapes. I love that.
1: Love a good landscape. Right? They get kind of overlooked, you know, I think landscapes, but to me, they're just really amazing. You know, like, that's what I love to paint. I do landscape watercolors. Yeah. And uh, it, like, people are like, what do you paint? And I'm like landscapes and their eyes kind of glaze over. But I'm like, no, <laughs> you, you awesome. should check out
2: his stuff. Because I've looked at the Hudson River School, right? The American um, mm-hmm. landscape school and been like, meh, meh, meh. But then every time it's one of his paintings, I can't stop looking at it. So mm-hmm. I feel you on that. Okay. Yeah.
0: I love that. I, I desperately want um, Carmen Lomas Garza to do a tarot deck or an oracle deck. Cause she does these kind of like paintings of these kind of just moments in mm-hmm. Mexican or Mexican American lives. Um, yeah. Just kind of things like a, a party or like someone being healed by a, a curandero or things like that. And I'm like, this would be so good as a deck. So I, I think we need, we need more art in the world
2: more art. <laughs> You should reach out to them. I mean, I was thinking about how I I never used to have a lot of tarot decks, but I've gotten a lot since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I was reflecting on this. I'm like, well, I can't go out to art galleries right now. So it's just basically this way to engage with art in this really intense way, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, since I can't go out and see it in the world under lockdown. So yeah, Yeah. part of how I survived (laughs) the past years.
0: (laughs) Got to get through it somehow. Uh, yeah. So what inspired you to make your own deck? Like where along the, the lines were you like, okay, this is a thing I need to do.
2: Right. Okay. So as usual, it's very nonlinear. Mm-hmm. So I had gotten my PhD. It was very disappointing. Pyrrhic victory. <laughs> I just like got to the end, kicking and screaming kind of thing. And then I didn't have a job. And I remember I was hiking around in Oregon and it was May and it was just like the special two weeks. In May, where all the wildflowers are blooming. Mm-hmm. Yes. And everything yep. just felt very alive and mystical. And at that time, transiting Uranus was making a grand fire trine to my natal uh, Saturn and Neptune that are trine. And so it was, you know, doing the three, right? So the transiting Uranus was completing this grand fir- fire trine in my chart. And I was reading a book by Hodorowsky, uh who's this amazing occult filmmaker, and he's had a long career with tarot. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it was Tarot, or uh, sorry, Hodorowski's book on the Tarot. And I had a vision of the high priestess as Emily Dickinson. So I was reading about the priestess in his book. Mm -hmm. And then I was awakened the next three mornings with a complete vision. It was like, I was just kind of told, this is what you're going to do. Here's the people you're going to include. Here's who's going to be for each card. And I think the backstory here is that I had just done a PhD in 19th century American literature. So Mm. my brain was just like jam packed with a whole social world, Mm. right? Like a whole literary world and occult world of the 19th century. So it was sort of like I was a good place for this project to land, right? (laughs) Because
0: you already had all the faces and everything in your brain. Exactly.
2: Like I could never replicate this because I don't have that level of knowledge of any other period of history.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So, you know, Uranus, I actually associate Uranus with angelic visitations or ascended masters Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So it really felt like a gift. It was just like, here you go. Here's what you're going to do. I was not looking to create a tarot deck, but Mm -hmm. it just came (laughs) to me. And I've had all these other projects that I personally have wanted to do. Like my ego wanted those things out there. And I never finished them. And I think because this just felt more like a mission, like you're supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that I actually did the follow through, which was considerable. It's a lot of work. So yeah, that's how that started.
0: Yeah. Were you were you nervous to start it? Because I'm like, the the last few times I've looked at kind of starting something, something like that, because I mean, it's it's a full like what, 78 cards in a deck. Yeah. Like this is... It's a, it's a bit of a hill to climb.
2: In a way, it was sort of the perfect project for me because I am so Gemini. And so what this project demanded was a lot of short chapters, you know, so mm. I wrote 78 chapters and they were all two to three pages. And so just having that step by step goal in mind, like, okay, I'm going to write one of these every yes. week or something. It was actually very easy. Yep. And I was able to write the book in a year and a half. So um, it was so joyful in the beginning. I wasn't, I didn't feel crushed by what I had to do. And I also had um, the the complete vision. So there were no question marks. It's like, I just have to put this into Mm -hmm. materialization. I already know everything I want to say.
1: Right. I really love like, I guess the cards in a way, did they like provide you with steps as you were writing the book? Because I mean, imagine writing the book had to be like a huge part of this project. It,
2: w- it was right, because I'm the literary yeah. person, right? I'm not the artist. And so uh, it was so fun to really just tune in energetically to a tarot energy each week. And so I remember when I was writing the Two of Pentacles, I lived in Eugene, which is like this kind of funky place, right? Yes. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like my car was waiting in front of a crosswalk and a juggler walked in front of me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I lived in Eugene for three years. Uh, Yeah. I know that. Yeah.
2: We were right in the Whitaker. So there were just lots of uh, synchronistic unfoldings and some were kind of scary. Right. So that was happening. So regularly it was like, Oh shit, I'm writing the the tower card this week. (laughs) What's going to come out. Um, But yeah, it was that the writing was a beautiful process.
1: And yeah. that sounds really, really fun to be able to like work on a project like that and really immerse yourself in each card mm-hmm. for for like a week, you know, because it's like, you know, I don't know. We're just not often given that opportunity to be that immersed yeah. in uh, something that we're really passionate about because, you know, life happens and, and such but uh, that sounds really, really cool. It was so joyful.
2: And I have another um, tarot idea that I have not enacted, but I will tell you about it privately, but I, w- I look forward to it. Like okay. writing it would be fun, right? So it's like what stops me from undertaking that project. It's not the writing. It would be like selling it, right? And doing the art and all that kind of thing. But yeah, just immersing yourself in the ideas, lots of fun. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. That's so neat. So It sounds like you kind of wrote the book first. And then did you team up with an artist for that or?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, here I was, you know, newly graduated, did not have a job, totally broke. So (laughs) I did not know how to make this happen. I am not a good enough artist to have produced this. And I was actually shopping for a shower curtain on Society6, just like (laughs) looking for, you know, someone's already shower curtain. And I found this artist and I just fell in love with her style. And um, I think you mentioned Pamela Coleman Smith earlier. And so I was thinking about why is that deck so accessible? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it about that deck that everyone loves? And I think there's just a kind of graphic simplicity to the lines. It's almost like comic book art, Mm -hmm. you know? And so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Celeste Pilly, who's the artist I went with, she has a sort of, you know, graphic style where it's very simplistic in that way. And what I liked about her figures, particularly the women, it's like the male gaze doesn't exist. Like her women just weren't sexualized. And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of tarot decks, like the women are just kind of hyper femme and unrealistic looking. (laughs) Right. And I don't relate to that, you know? And so some of the most meaningful compliments I've gotten on the art of the deck are like, oh, these figures look like real people. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you know, that's what I want. So um, I liked how she drew uh, women and then she also had a number of African-American figures in the art she had up online and there wasn't anything like weird about them. So I think there can be like this sort of unconscious um, bias that people bring, you Mm -hmm. know, when they're creating art and she did not have any of that. Like I felt like her um, portraits of African-American people were really beautiful and yeah. Just didn't look like she had any hangups about that sort of stuff.
0: So, yeah. That's important yeah. territory because in different things that we're depicting through art can get very kind of cartoonish very quickly, depending on where we're viewing them from or kind of, you know, over yeah. the top in different areas. So finding something that's going to bring reality forth and kind of honesty, you know?
2: Yeah. And just getting down to like technical things like um, skin color. Like if you've seen the HBO show Insecure, You know, like um, it's about an African-American woman kind of making her way through L.A. But I read such an interesting article about the lighting. You know, it's just like about knowing how to light African-American people. And I think there is a parallel situation in the art world, too. Right. Mm -hmm. So kind of like knowing Mm -hmm. how to work with color in a way that is um, flattering and, you know, (laughs) just attractive. So, yeah.
0: Interesting. I love that. I love that. And then, did you two just decide to just team up and do this together, or did you then go to like a publisher that would produce the deck? Or
2: yeah, because there's always those
0: logistics of whether you do it yourself (laughs) or you go to somebody else to have it printed. Or
2: I I wish that would have happened for me. So I had written it, and then I actually pitched it to US Games, which a lot of people know that's the company that um, prints the Rider Waite Smith deck, and you know it's a very popular tarot company. And Stuart Kaplan, who Uh, just recently passed, but US Games is his brainchild. He actually called me after I sent them my manuscript and he's like, you're a genius and like (laughs) all this other stuff. And I'm like, great. Can you connect me to an artist? And he's like, Oh, we don't do that. You have to just do the art. So just after having heard that from him, I was just really committed to, okay, we're going to complete the art and then I will look for a publisher. So I think probably because I was a no name at that time, like I don't have any other publications. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't able to get a publisher to back me to Uh, finance the art or anything like that so yeah
0: wow and then later once you did get the art did you then go back to us games or or did you guys end up kind of just doing your own printing or
2: well you're skipping over the most labor intensive part here so (laughs) i banged this book out in a year and a half and then it took celeste about five years to illustrate it oh wow right i would say absolutely the most challenging thing about this entire process was waiting because again, my vision was all there like overnight, right? I had that yeah. uranium transmission. It was like, okay, here's what it's supposed to be. Celeste is a day job. So she was averaging about like two images a month. But then if we had extensive edits, it was maybe like one, you know? Yeah. And so, um, wow. It, I kind of wish it was faster, but at the same time, I would send her like 20 um, inspiration images and in the chapter and then we'd go back and forth for a couple weeks. So it's like in a way, I don't know that it could have happened any faster. Yeah. But it was just so maddening to me. I'm very impatient. I have Mars conjunct Mercury. <laughs> so it's like I want it now. And yeah, it that was challenging.
1: Wow. Oh, we know that life that impatient struggle is like I'm I got like four planets in Aries like waiting.
2: What? Totally. Yeah, it was so difficult. Um and I I should say too, she was like a miracle from God. I don't know, because she was so patient wow. um, with my Virgo self, just being so anal retentive, like, no. And a lot of it was about 19th century hair. And so she would show people with these kind of like loose buns. And I'm like, no, there were no elastic bands. Like the hairstyles have to be like pinned up, you know, we, we don't have any ponytails here. So anyway, um, she was a saint to work with is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think the work she did was just incredible. I I think her art is amazing. And yeah. And it, I mean it's wow. you're kind of it's just like this gamble with a stranger. Like, are you going to complete this seventy eight card mission with me? And kind of navigating that. So I'm just really thrilled that she did the entire thing and didn't flag out after a couple of years. So
1: Wow, wow. I I cannot remember the name of this deck, but uh there was a deck that a woman was working on for about 10 years and people were just waiting with bated breath like yeah. for her to drop the deck. Um so 5 years, I mean 5 years is a, is a really long time to me. It was it was it felt <laughs> like
2: forever and it was very frustrating to me like not knowing how to do the marketing because I was excited about it and I wanted to share mm-hmm. but then if people right. don't have a product they can buy is kind of Counterproductive.
1: Mm-hmm. Um yeah, false
2: flag. Right. But we did um crowdsourcings, you know, just using some of the initial images. And so that's how I was able to finance mm-hmm. it because I, you know, didn't have the money handy to so commission mm-hmm. someone for this huge piece of work. So mm-hmm. yeah. That that was the other thing I could afford to pay her over five years. Really? Too, so yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, but I love too that you guys went back and forth and, and took your time with it because this is one of those things. It's like, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's, you know, let's go yeah. back and talk about getting the hair right, getting the historical things right. Like, you know, really important. That, no,
2: that's such a big deal. And honestly, there's maybe like one card I wish we would have tweaked more, but mm-hmm. that's a pretty good place to land with the tarot deck where I like yeah. almost all of the images as much as I like, <laughs> you know,
0: any of them. So. Yeah. Anyone yeah. with Virgo placements, we can tinker with it for another five years and still not yes, <laughs> have it be sure. perfect. You know? Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Oh gosh, I, I'm still trying to swallow that five years. I would, I would go insane. <laughs> it's real,
2: baby. <laughs> it, was, it was so real, right? Yeah.
1: Because because all that the buyer sees is the finished product, right? Like they don't they don't see that labor that went into mm-hmm. it right you know that long so it's like yeah it's giving me perspective over your tarot deck because i was like yeah I sh- they may have completed it in a year or something because like, i to me it's a recent development to me so i was like but whoa wait five years I mean, some wow. people
2: can do that if you're doing a collage deck and your book's not very extensive mm-hmm. you know i think there are mm-hmm. decks that are made more quickly but it's just been frustrating with some of the critiques that you know come at the deck and i'm like Really, like, do you know how much we've thought over and sweated over and negotiated, right. like, yeah. <laughs> each little point that's in the image? So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's very easy from the other side to just kind of poke at things and it's like, <laughs> you don't know what I
2: went through. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh.
2: I, I think that's just my personality, too. So, my astrological handle is the Pluto babe. So, I do tend to be very intense. And so, we, really loaded a lot of symbolism and story into every card. Uh, mm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Do you, did you do like astrology symbolism into it as well, or um, did it kind of just depend on the card?
2: <laughs> yeah. So I worked with that into the court cards. Mm. And so uh, with the pages, I just made them sort of like elemental symbols, but that leaves us with 12 other court cards. And so I made each of the court cards, a representation of an astrological sign. And then I worked pretty extensively with the deccans when I was immersing myself in the just the lore of tarot. So to create this deck, I didn't just come from one system. It wasn't like I just wanted to do what everyone else does, which is let's copy the waitsmith, right? Let's do some mm-hmm. updated version of the weightsmith. So I was researching the Marseille Tarot. I was really interested in the Toth Tarot, looking at the Solabusca, just like all of these ancient decks. And so we really draw from a selection of traditions. So like our lover card, for example, it's from the Marseille tradition. And then the magician, we went all the way back to the 15th century, the Visconti Sforza tarot. So Mm it's like the very first magician, which is someone sitting at a desk, which really worked for this being like a literary tarot. I think I answered your question. (laughs) Sorry, I was spacing out. Did I? (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in in your deck, do you do you follow kind of like the classic like um, major arcana, and then like the cups and swords and coins and and whatnot, or, or did you kind of take your own flip on that?
2: For the most part, it's a very traditional deck. So mm-hmm. um, the major arcana, we didn't do any major deviations. Um, I think I just made the justice card eight and the strength card 11, which is kind of a reversion to an older ordering Mm -hmm. because the golden dawn changed that ordering. Mm -hmm. And then um, people have thought it's weird, the liberties I took with the court cards. And so instead of pages, I made that the pioneers because I was trying to think of American archetypes, right? So pages became pioneers and then Knights became missionaries. (laughs) And so I think people have some problems with those terms. But to me, it's all archetypes, right? So Mm -hmm. a page I think of as someone who's doing something new. Mm -hmm. And so because I was using historical figures, I didn't really want to put historical figures in a ranked hierarchy Mm -hmm. and just say like, oh, William Wells Brown was the page to like King Frederick Douglass or something like that Mm -hmm. sounded weird. So I just used that archetype of the pioneer instead, like Mm -hmm. someone who breaks new ground. And then the missionary became someone who's an extremist. Instead of a knight, it's like, who's someone uh, who really took this energy to an right. extreme position. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So those were the, the big we're changes, the I think. But otherwise, it's very traditional. We mostly stuck to the familiar Waitsmith meanings and the mm-hmm. minors with just a few changes. Mm-hmm. And, and all those changes came from the Deccans. So people are not familiar. The Deccans are, um, it's actually an ancient Egyptian system like a way of dividing the 12 signs into 36 signs of 10 degrees each. And so those were actually correlated to the minor arcana by the golden dawn. And so, for example, um, if we're just starting the beginning, it starts with the two of wands and that's Mars and Aries.
1: Mm. And
2: then the three of wands is the sun and Aries. Like that's some of the planetary signatures. So yeah, because I'm an astrologer, I worked all that in to the extent that I could. So
0: I love that. That I feel like that also gives like a deck, you know, kind of like magical and spiritual depth too. To take that stuff into consideration beyond just kind of, you know, the aesthetic and the characters and the faces, right. but like also yeah. understanding that and making sure that that's something that's into the deck that's very neat. Yeah,
2: I hope so. I, I haven't heard from too many people who are reading with it, but from the ones who have communicated with me, they say it's a very practical deck, which I think is funny because that's how I am. Right, I'm like let's not noodle around like let's just get to the point you know what can you use here and so people have told me this deck gives them just very succinct clear practical advice I'm like yeah that that sort of sounds like me so
0: (laughs) that is good Mm, I I I often wonder what kind of a voice a deck would have if if I was to produce Mm. it kind of you know what, what would it feel like? What how would it, you know, you're talking about that being very practical or there are other decks that I've worked with that have been very kind of very pointy where I'm like, okay, rude, but thank you. Um,
1: you know, so I'm
0: always kind of wondering what, what a deck for me would kind of look like or like, you know, what a deck from Britain would kind of sound like, you know, Mm. with people reading from it. So that's interesting that you've gotten that feedback of kind of what your deck sounds like for people.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because each deck has its own vibe like it really has its own feel to it and um and then like the collective use of it there Mm -hmm. seems to be a consensus drawn about it um but that's really fascinating that yeah that you've expressed that you're a practical person and the deck itself is i I think there's an earthiness to to it and
2: that you know obviously i'm a very spiritual person and i guess is the way you could put it but i also think the material world is enchanted and so I'm very comfortable here. Right. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's making sense, but I feel like um, the images are relatable, as I said before, so it can Mm -hmm. like really bridge very easily to practical situations in your life.
0: Yeah.
2: That makes sense.
0: So, for our listeners here who are interested or curious about maybe starting their own deck, do you have um, advice, or or maybe a handful of things that that you wish you had known beforehand, or or wish you had chosen differently, or or what's what's your advice for people who are maybe looking to go on this journey themselves?
2: I mean, first of all, I would say I don't think you do this because you want to get rich. You know, let's just put that out there. But if you do want to make some money on it, you should probably self-publish. That would be mm-hmm. some advice I would offer, and I think most people know that going in. So I learned that right away, right? It's like if I want this to be a moneymaker, then I would have to take on all the burden of, um, you know, doing the packaging and the publishing and the distribution and the marketing. And I was kind of like, yeah, I don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> I have like <laughs> other things I want to do with my life. Um, I don't want to be like packing boxes all the time, and you know, marketing is is not my forte. So I went with a publisher, um, and I had a great experience with my publisher Schiffer. So I'll just give them a shout out. It's Schiffer Redfeather. They pretty much made no substantive edits. Like we have a tarot card that's kind of scary. So our three of swords is a little creepy. There's even like a review on Amazon. That's like, Ooh, this card. <laughs> <It> <laughs> so, <freaked me> out. <laughs> and yeah, so, um, But they didn't ask me to change it. That was one of the cards. I was like, "Ah, they might come back with some notes and they didn't. So they really gave me a free hand. So I appreciated that. So Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of maintain my vision. And they did a beautiful job on the box. And so that's kind of been the most exciting. um, That's been like the most buzz about this project is like what a beautiful uh, box it has and presentation yeah, as, as far as what I wish I'd known, um, I just want to point out a resource that some people m- may not be aware of. So I watched Benabelle Wen go through this whole process of um, creating a deck and publishing it, and she was very candid, as she always is, about everything that entailed. And now she actually has a manual or a guide about publishing your own deck oh. available for purchase on her website. So wow. um, for a long time, it was free, you know, kind of uh, as she was writing it in real time. And now I think it's $30 or something. So um, absolutely worth it. And she gives you like resources, like who will print this deck and and that sort of thing. So if anyone wants to undertake the great work of putting out your own deck, she's a good resource.
1: Wow, that's really handy to have, knowing how to navigate that stuff. That's really handy. Yes, we'll
0: have to look into that because that's one of those things, like we even looked into things like that when we first started the podcast. It's just like things that people like... People who have already done it, what they had to figure out, all that stuff kind of spelled out as a roadmap is so helpful because these are projects that right. we think like, mm-hmm. okay, we're just going to go do a thing. And then it's like, but do we know how? <laughs>
2: like, sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. There's like a yeah. whole back end that exactly. people don't see, you know, like the, the back end of a web store or the podcast or the tarot deck, you know, where the real mechanics like start to shift and create the thing um, that's like the end product that the person gets yeah. to enjoy. Um, yeah. Interesting, interesting.
0: So my next question was kind of about you know your your deck centers around the the American Renaissance. Yeah, and we you kind of talked about earlier that you kind of chose this because it's it's kind of what showed up, what kind of downloaded for mm-hmm. you. But you know what yeah. what is important about this time period, and, and what m- does it have to teach us? You know.
2: Such a big question. Great question. So um, because I got a PhD in literature, right, Mm -hmm. my primary association with the term American Renaissance was mid-19th century literature. So Mm -hmm. it was considered the time when Americans first started to have a creative voice. And so we had these white male writers like Emerson, Hawthorne, Melville, Thoreau, and Whitman. Okay, So those are who was held up at the time, right? It's kind of creating this new American fiction. Mm -hmm. We didn't really have writers like that before this time that were doing something fresh and new. So the country's not even a hundred years old Mm -hmm. at this time, right? And so um, that's sort of like what the original uh, term applied to was just these white male writers. And so I brought in that Um, area of time to like a 50 year period Mm -hmm. and so now in the academy of course we have grown with the times and so we include many more women writers and african-american writers and so it's a much broader diverse um, collection of people but as Mm -hmm. to like why i would be interested in this time um, it was a really visionary unique time for the united states and so i want to make a little astrological parallel here Currently we're in the Neptune and Pisces age. Okay. So we've been here since 2012. And as you guys have noticed, (laughs) there's a lot more witches, astrologers, you know, mystics of all stripes. It's really big in the public consciousness. Okay. Exact same thing is going on in the 1850s in America. Okay. And so um, there's an explosion of interest in spiritualism. So if you're not familiar, spiritualism started with these two teen girls in upstate New York, and they got a platform and um, they were talking to the dead and believe it or not, you know, that tiny instance became a national craze where all of a sudden uh, seance culture goes mainstream and women are becoming these spiritual authorities. And uh, there's estimates that I think it's up to like 11 million or 13 million people were adherents of spiritualism in that time. So um, three experimental times, wow. spiritually, politically, Uh, like all of a sudden a bunch of people are waking up too because we have the civil war starting in the 1860s, the entire previous decade, the 1850s is when suddenly everyone's an abolitionist. And I would say before that, it was pretty like, uh, I don't know, just (laughs) extremely rare, considered very extreme. Mm -hmm. But then the conversation starts to become like um, much more intense in the 1850s. So we use Harriet Beecher Stowe in the tarot deck. We feature uh, a number of cards from Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was actually an anti-slavery novel. Mm. And so this is an example of, you know, this being a big part of the conversation. So she was really interested in having white people develop empathy. Okay. Mm. So white people develop empathy for the African-American's plight. So to me, there's just, there's so many weird parallels with that period and contemporary wokeness, like in this Neptune and Pisces Mm -hmm. era we're in now. Mm -hmm. And then um, what's really fascinating. So uh, this area, I just went to go visit upstate New York. I was in Rochester. So Rochester, New York was the site of where spiritualism really took off. Um, It was also a huge hotbed of abolitionism and the Underground Railroad. And it's also really the wellspring of the women's rights movement. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people who are involved in these progressive political movements were also involved with spiritualism. And so spiritualism was kind of opening up a new world for people where they were seeing beyond gender, beyond race uh, in the spiritual world, and Mm -hmm. then able to apply some of those ideas in the material world. So I think it's just such an unusual time in America's history, And as far as the broader reason, like why I would want to bring this up, um, I think that a lot of Americans are in shame about their background. And I Mm -hmm. should say specifically, I think white Americans just have a lot of shame about some really horrible, scandalous, Mm -hmm. egregious history. You know, there's Mm -hmm. reasons to feel ashamed about that. But then I think that um, we tend to just forget that there were also good people here. So mm-hmm. it's not black or white. It's like one doesn't cancel out the other. Yeah. But I think part of being in our Pluto return mm-hmm. right now, which I talked about last time is that we're just seeing the trauma. Like that's all anyone can see. It's like, we're yeah. looking back and we're just finding the traumatic instances because they've been repressed, right? They need air. They need to come up and be heard. Um. But I, I think that like for me, someone who's an American witch, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do I look back to is my ancestry,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? And so what I noticed just being like a young witch, right? Like when I was a teenager and in my 20s, is that everyone I met was looking back to a, a place that was not where we were, right? <laughs> like <laughs> We're in America and they're like, oh no, I'm Wiccan. And they're getting really into like Celtic lore mm-hmm. or people are going back to ancient Egypt. Or it's like, mm-hmm. everyone's just going back <laughs> anywhere but else. here. <laughs> Yeah. And then um, for me, you know, some branches of my family have been here for over 300 years. So it's it's not to say that, yep. you know, like, oh, I own this land or have some claim to it. But it's just like, well, that's enough time to kind of build up a culture and an identity. Like, yeah. I think America is this coherent identity. So it's just really looking for people in the deck that I could celebrate who were like my spiritual... Um, like metaphorical ancestors, right? If there's not Mm -hmm. a blood connection, but these writers that were advocates, you know, social justice advocates or abolitionists or spiritualists, or um, there's a lot of sex radicals and communitarians and just Mm -hmm. like, um, there's root magic in the deck. There's Rosicrucianism, which is the source of um, a lot of like secret societies. Mm -hmm. So, There's just a lot of stuff here. It's sort of like every alternative metaphysical tradition Mm -hmm. I try to represent on one card, you know, so uh, it won't be a complete history, but it's kind of a spectrum of all these alternative beliefs that were on offer, right? That were available to people. And that is not our perception of this country. Like we just tend to think everyone was a fundamentalist Christian and everyone was a racist slaveholder. This is not true. Yeah. So it's just not true. So it's just kind of looking at, um, like those traditions that we can connect to in a positive way is mm-hmm. that's the intent.
0: Yeah. Sifting mm-hmm. some of those out and holding them up mm-hmm. a little bit and kind of being like, these, yeah. these people have been around, you know, fighting the good fight. And I, I like to, are you talking about spiritualism being a kind of a catalyst for this? Cause I've never exactly. seen anybody that that way before it was always kind of like oh yeah, yeah this weird thing happened with spiritualism anyway American history is over here <laughs> and I'm like but I never saw them as being connected before and I think that's really interesting as well
2: it made it to Congress, right? Like they were debating spiritualism in Congress because they thought it had something to do with electricity. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a big deal. So, um, Mitch Horowitz wrote the intro to my book. So, some people might know him. Wow. Yeah. He's, I love him. He's a badass. Love that guy. So, he has a book called uh, Occult America. Okay. And he talks about a lot of this history. And I believe he still teaches on this topic to his students, right? So, he teaches this history of American occultism. So my uh, question when I was doing my grad work was, okay, how is it that all of these witches emigrated to the colonies because they did? Like we just know that, um, you know, a lot of grimoires show up in the American colonies. We have like a lot of um, occult manuals that show up in the 17th century in the libraries of Puritans. So how did all this like occultism and astrology get to America and then just disappear, Like, where's the rest of the story? Mm -hmm. Because the next big flare-up we have is um, in the 1870s with Madame Blavatsky and Theosophy. So that's where most people date the New Age or the occult revival, right? It's going to be the end of the 19th century. And my question was like, surely there were things that led up to this moment. Like, who were the people keeping these traditions alive? And so that's what my project is a deep dive into. And um, even people like Edgar Allan Poe, Uh, who's, I think we have more Poe cards than any other writer. Um, I would call Poe, you know, a Neoplatonist occultist. So he shares a lot of these ideas. Um, Mm -hmm. And I even think Alistair Crowley was inspired by uh, Poe's writing on the will. So I can't remember Mm -hmm. if that's in the book or if it's just on my blog, but we have evidence of that, right? Like Crowley quoting Poe on the will. So Yeah, probably rambling all over the place in my Gemini way, (laughs) so.
1: It's awesome. That's what podcasts are for. Good, good, okay. (laughs) And
0: that's something that's so fascinating because too, like when you do look back at like early seance culture and stuff like that and like these people who were attending these seances were, you know, writers and and physicists and like scientists and things like that that are like, what is this? What is here? And like, I thought that that was such a neat place because nowadays like you're, You talk to like scientists and you're like, come check out the seance. And everyone's like, no, we'll not go near that within like 10 miles. But back then, like (laughs) science was interested in that stuff. And I love
2: that idea. You can still find that on the fringes, you know, the quantum physics folks really into that, right? And so um, Edgar Allan Poe actually wrote a book very much along those lines. So at the end of his life, Poe wrote this book called Eureka, which is I think the longest book he ever wrote. And it's essentially a cosmology And he's, he's trying to do what you're talking about. Like he's talking about his spiritual vision, which is essentially hermetic neoplatonism. And he's trying to link it to the science of the day. It's amazing. Like, I don't know why people don't talk about this book more. And then Poe kind of doing the scientific speculation, he actually predicted the Big Bang Theory. He describes it before it was invented. And that's just how Poe is. He (laughs) does a lot of things like that. So yeah he's essentially like um predicting the theory of relativity as well in eureka so
0: it's I love wild it when that stuff happens yeah <laughs> yeah i love that well before we let you go here i want to know a couple of things first and foremost what is your favorite card in your deck
2: it's like i have 78 babies i know right? um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> gosh. Let me. I yeah, I have it in front of me you. here. So, I don't know if I have a favorite, I, here's the thing. I'm pretty gothy, and so we went all goth on the um, Poe cards. And uh, so, um, we, and since we've been talking about art, there's a Magritte reference in this card. So I'm going to find it just show it to you. Are either of you a Magritte fan?
0: I don't know what that Not is, familiar. but I like that card.
2: Okay, so Rene Magritte was a surrealist. Okay. And um, Magritte has a painting of a man staring into a mirror and in the mirror's reflection, it's actually the back of his head. And so you're, you as the viewer of the painting, it's like you're seeing the back of someone's head and then that head is reproduced like in the mirror. And then he has um, in the painting, he paints one of Poe's books into this painting. So uh-huh. Rene Magritte is making this very clear Edgar Allan Poe reference. And um anyway, so this is a the five of swords is our ode to Poe and we reproduce that technique Mm -hmm. where we have someone looking into a mirror and yet the image is like doubled. You're not seeing the mirror reflection, but like um I don't know if I'm making sense. You could (laughs) maybe try to grasp it that way. Yeah. So I like that card a lot just because it's kind of thinky and I'm a big Poe fan. So Mm.
0: I love that. I love that. Love
1: it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. And my second question, of course, is where can our listeners find you, um, keep up to date with you, um, hire you, all that stuff? How can they get connected with you?
2: I'm pretty active on Instagram right now on my tarot page, which is at American Tarot. Um, So you can always find me there. I do have a website for this project. So it's AmericanRenaissanceTarot.com. And so you can book readings there. But then I also have my tarot offerings listed at my Pluto Babe website. So oh, that's theplutobabe.com. So that's how you can book for astrology and or tarot readings.
1: Yes. And y'all listeners uh, highly recommend a reading with Thea. Uh, uh, they're incredible. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Thank I you. I have to get
0: one booked as well because now I want to know all the things. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thea, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been great to uh, speak with you and kind of get to know, you know, your projects and what you have going on. So thank you so much for being here. And while you guys are all waiting to get in line for a reading,
1: remember to do witchcraft. Do it. it. Bye, y'all. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.